Martin Pro. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. In his 2019 State of the Union address, Donald J. Trump, President, said tonight we renew our resolve that America will never be a socialist country. A few months later, he was addressing the General Assembly at UN headquarters in New York, and again he repeated the same line again. America will never be a socialist country. But then, a year later, in March of 2020, a man-on-the-street type of video, a fellow by the name of Will Witt, Prager University interviewed a few college-age students about socialism, asking first for their definition of the system. And here's what they thought. I think it's like equality for all, said one. Isn't it like sharing, like everybody's evenly distributed throughout the, everybody's just the same? Another said, it's more like helping everybody, isn't it? So, like if you have enough, why not give to those who haven't got it? And how about capitalism? Well, the same interview asked them what they thought of capitalism. What do you guys think of capitalism? The first one said, capitalism is evil. The same one who saw that socialism was equality and helping everybody. So, do you wonder where socialism is getting its wings? You don't want to be a selfish capitalist, do you? Well, today on Viewpoint, we're going to talk about this matter of socialism. It is an ism, friends, and all isms are systems of belief built around some nugget of truth that gives it a sense of vitality and verity, and then the deception goes from there. We are filled, absolutely dominated by isms, political isms, social isms, scientisms, and yes, even religious isms. The whole world is filled with isms, and the isms are leading us all astray. And today on Viewpoint, Cheryl Chumley is joining us to talk about the ism of socialism. She says socialists don't sleep, and Christians must rise or America will fall. Cheryl, it's good to have you on the program. Well, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Well, you uh, you write very uh, strongly. You uh, have a sense of conviction as you write, as you speak. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. Well, in this book, I'm trying to point out that once we get to the point in this nation of electing an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a card-carrying socialist, that that's a sign that for the last decades we have allowed socialism to creep into this country. We just haven't called it that. So if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is kind of the 12th hour, my book, I I try and uh, give people the tools to recognize the first 11 hours on the clock where socialism actually creeps in. Well, it's actually crept in, and it reminds me of, I believe it was the poet Robert Frost, 
who uh, wrote about fog, and he says the fog creeps in on little cat feet. And we all know, we've been in an area where fog comes in, it starts to come in slowly and surreptitiously, you know, making its way. And then all of a sudden, you realize you're completely enveloped. You might be enveloped in a dangerous whiteout. And that's how socialism comes in, doesn't it? Yeah. It, and as another analogy, that's a great one. Um, another one is just, you know, sort of the frog in the boiling pot of water, right? He doesn't oh, realize that he's. He's, he's dying until the very last instant. And this is where America's right now, uh, whether people recognize it or not. And I know that some of the feedback I've received in my book is that people have been downright frightened at what they've read. And, it, you know, because it's an eye opener. But that's what we need. Because the problem is we've allowed so many socialist principles to seep into society, into our culture, into our economy. We're just not calling it socialism yet. But when it gets to the point where we're calling it socialism, it's too late. It's already ingrained. So, so what it, Shakespeare said, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, uh, fits this uh, business of socialism. <laughs> no matter what name you call it, no matter what euphemism you might use to try to hide its significance, it still smells and it stinks. Yeah, don't be lulled by the smell of the roses of socialism, because in the end, it's, it's all rotten. It's rotten to the core. And I don't care how, uh, you know, rosy smelling the lies, um, the odor from, from, the, from the, you know, socialist smelling roses, they, they stink no matter how they're presented. Well, you say that uh, discernment is the key. And one of the things that I have discovered uh, through all of my many years uh, both in and in the church and uh, as a trial attorney in Southern California for many years and uh, as a pastor for many years, as a broadcaster, what I have dis- discovered is discernment is hard to find these days. It is hard to find, and that goes hand in hand with the fact that our nation is growing more and more secular because wisdom is like gold, right? That's what the Bible teaches, and it's true. If, if you are able to discern truth from deception in this day and age with all the media lies, then you have a talent that this world greatly needs. Exactly. And uh, what we want to look at here in the balance of the program today is how to develop that discernment Uh, how we can really understand the true nature of socialism and why it not only will destroy our country, but also is a reflection of our abandonment of our faith in Christ. And so today on Viewpoint, friends, uh, we're going to continue talking with Cheryl Chumley. She has four kids. What are their ages? 25, 24, 19, and 14. So you are out there with your husband in the midst of the battle then with four kids, uh, uh, those that are actually being uh, susceptible to this indoctrination that's coming. It's almost the air we breathe today. Yep, and they're all saved. They're all saved, and they're all conservative. <laughs> so we have uh, good get-togethers as a family. Well, so. that's good. That's good. You're not having an unholy screaming party 
as wokeness comes in to take over your your family, right? <laughs> no, no, they uh, they criticize this woke culture as much as I do. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, friends, I want to make available uh, Cheryl's uh, wonderful book here, uh, Socialists Don't Sleep, Christians Must Rise or America Will Fall. Uh, $19 is going to put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. It's a hardback book. And uh, my producer says I'm supposed to offer it for $19, so that's exactly what I'm doing as an obedient uh, host here who actually uh, con- supposedly controls things in this ministry. Uh, so uh, it's yours. It's on our website, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for posting your hand. And we'll write you right back to discern socialism. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Book Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's always, it's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And the lead words in the chapter 16 of my book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception, are these words. Political isms are deceptive. As with all other isms, precisely because they're wrapped around an element of truth. Political isms tend to extract authority from humanism and or naturalism, making specific application in the realm of government and economics which affect untold millions or billions of people on our planet. We will now inspect some of the more prominent of these political isms, seeking to identify the spiritual sleight of hand which enables deception to be woven around a thread of truth. And that would lead us then to the seduction of socialism. Our guest today, Cheryl, uh, Cheryl Chumley, with her book, Socialists Don't Sleep. Would you agree that socialism is seductive, Cheryl? Absolutely. And it's very hard to compete with on, on a political ideology. I mean, what sells better politically than free stuff? How, how do you counter that? It, it sounds great. Well, Government it sounds giving Christian. Away free stuff. It sounds Christian, <laughs> yeah. actually. It, it's yep, so persuasive. Yep. In fact, if you listen to some of the young people, they say, well, you know, it's about fairness. It's about equality. Uh, if you have extra, uh, what's wrong with giving it to somebody else? The problem is socialism doesn't allow you to give it. It takes it from you and gives it to whomever the government wants it to go to. Yeah, it's force. It, basically, at its root, it's force. Or the, threat the of force. Takes- Yes, the government is taking something from you and giving it to its determined uh, and chosen select winners. 
And, you know, a lot of people, especially in the Christian community, you kind of hit the nail on the head. They they think they're doing their Christian duty. They think they're doing what's right by well, redistributing wealth. Well, there and are many pastors did, who have bought into this, uh, whether yeah. you want to call it wokeness, whatever you want to call it, uh, they're buying into it because as... Uh, uh, the Christian crooner of the 1970s said, how can it be wrong when it seems or feels so right? I, I have a chapter devoted to addressing the uh, socialism that has crept into America's churches. And it's not new. It's It's been in America's churches at uh, distinct points in history. Mm-hmm. But it's based upon the idea that, well, Jesus fed the poor, and he wants you to feed the poor. And my counter to that, and this is how you keep it straight in your mind, Jesus never demanded the government feed the poor. It was always an individual thing. It was always based on your relationship, your love for him. Because because it was a matter of the heart, right? Right. You you voluntarily, uh, charitably helped others. And that is so different from government doing it. That's that 99% truth, 1% deception again. There it is. So it's an ism. It's a nugget of truth, but a whole lot of deception is wrapped around it, and it feels so right, if you don't have biblical discernment. Socialism is powerfully persuasive and almost solemnly seductive to the natural mind. It carries with it somewhat of a spiritual aura of doing good to all men. In fact, its proponents, while denying the authority of Scripture and the existence of a creator, will often argue the uh, authenticity of socialism by appealing to the Bible for authority. It's amazing, isn't it, Cheryl? Yeah, I find that egregious and very offensive as a believer when um, pastors in particular, but just you know, Bible believers, Christians in general, talk about the socialism of the Bible, because I, I find that so offensive because it's, so, it's such a skewed teaching. And I, I just think Christians need to see clearly here that it's all about the individual giving, not about the government. Right. So, but the reasoning is, if we should do good to all men, well, why not devise a society to compel all to do good so as to achieve a so-called just society. Isn't that the rationale? Because it doesn't work. It doesn't it, yeah, work. Yeah, because no. it doesn't, no. And, and you know, founders knew that in their wisdom. They based our government, our democratic republic form of government, on the, on the acknowledgement that humans are born sin-filled, right? And because of that, we needed a creator upon whom to rely for certain moral compasses. And so this is this is how our Judeo-Christian nation was rooted and what made it so great and so distinctive among all governments. And and so that that's an awareness that in this society, in a free society, you can't base it on the idea that people are automatically going to do good things and it's therefore the government's job to make sure all of society does good things. Well, I'm glad that you brought up this issue of the belief in the uh, sinful nature of man, uh, because that was the founding understanding of our country. Uh, Even those who were not Christians believed that, uh, that mankind was not fundamentally good, but was fundamentally sinful, and therefore we needed massive checks and balances to set up a government that would allow the people to participate, but... Uh, challenge the overreach of a majority who would possibly not be good or godly 
in their hearts. And so uh, we got a republic, as Benjamin Franklin said, if you can keep it. Now, unfortunately, Cheryl, what I see is uh, you could go back perhaps into the 1960s with the tremendous, not only the sexual revolution, but also the complete uh, rebellion against authority, God's authority, parental authority, government authority, and so on. Or you could even go beyond that to the 1920s with the theological liberalism that was coming in rapidly into America from Germany. And uh, what happened as a result of those was a complete shift of belief that now mankind is fundamentally good, and it's only just a few bad eggs. So when that belief came in and replaced the belief that mankind was fundamentally sinful and needed a savior, everything changed in terms of our thinking about politics, about law, about society, about economics, I think. Yeah, because God became just someone or something to stick in in church on Sunday. Mm. Instead of in, instead of having the godly principles that you would carry without you through, throughout your entire week, 24-7, uh, just worship of God became something that you would do on Sundays, and then you'd return to work on Monday, and it was back to the secularized, secularized world. And so this is why we're at where we're at in America right now, the right. division of God from society. And actually, America has become divided almost 50% as to God-fearers and God-disbelievers. And uh, whether you want to call that a division of red states and blue states, uh, that's how it it bears out. Uh, The Democratic Party has, by and large, repudiated the God who made and preserved us a nation. And at least there is a significant residue within the Republican Party of those who still maintain the fear of the Lord. And without the fear of the Lord, we have nothing, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, which means without it, we have no discernment. What say you? Right. Right. And look at what's happened to the Democrat Party, right? Because as they move farther and farther away from God and recognizing godly principles and the need for God in politics, the farther left they go. The Democrat Party today is not the Democrat Party of JFK, right? It's not common sense for America. And it's not even the party of Bill Clinton days. Bill Clinton, for all his failures and and faults and and sins and so forth, uh, he's still, by and large, loved America, and he, he didn't want to crumble America from within. The Democrat Party of today wants to completely cripple America's Constitution, uproot it, tear it out, and bring in this new chaotic system that's more akin to communism, yeah. which I showcase in my book, the, mm-hmm. the similarities between the Democrat Party and the Communist Party. But this is the Democrat Party of today, anti-American at root. Well, this is why a... Uh... A Democrat mayor, I believe it was a mayor, uh, it was just announced that he has abandoned the Democrat Party after a lifetime of commitment to that party because he says it is no longer, uh, I cannot support uh, its godlessness and uh, it's just completely gone crazy, so to speak. Uh, And this is happening over and over again. All right, now... I want to ask you, let's, let's apply this in events that are taking place right before our eyes. For instance, what is taking place south of the border? 
with 170,000 people having uh, uh, illegals having been at least detained, uh, many of them just allowed to come right back into the country after having been detained. But with this flooding, intentional flooding of uh, illegal citizens, illegals coming from south of the border, does this not relate to the vision of socialism, the ultimate vision of socialism? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, and the most glaring way that it relates to socialism is the complete capsizing of a system of law and order. You know, the, the left, when they do believe in God, and they do talk about God and Jesus and biblical principles, they always couch it in terms of love, but they never talk about the accountability and the consequences that comes with that love for God and from God. Right. You know, there are certain behavioral standards that you have to, as a Christian, that you, that you should abide, and you just can't call yourself a good Christian, talk about God's love, but completely discount that there are certain laws that you go by. Uh, the New Testament did, did not uproot the Old Testament. It just added to it. So if the left, carrying it, its secular vision, its socialist agenda forward, wants to completely tear down law and order and the concept of law and order, one way they can do that is by opening the borders to any and all. And they do that by saying they care and, and for other humans, and they, they're yeah. compassionate, and they have love for these people. But that's not love, because you're forgetting about exactly. the American citizens who are here. Well, not you're, only you're, that, but you, you're forgetting about the horrible things that you're seducing these people to undergo uh, to get here in the promise of freedom or free stuff. All right, friends, we're talking with Cheryl Chumley concerning her book, Socialists Don't Sleep. Christians must rise or America will fall. And uh, I ask you the question out there, do you believe that? Do you believe that? The book is a uh, $28 book, hardbound. It's yours for $19 on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 7 0879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. We're going to begin to dig more deeply into some of the implications and applications uh, how uh, socialism has woven its, its way like an insidious weed or a snake uh, into our national uh mentality, our national mindset and heart set, and uh, how it is surreptitiously taking over uh, the country. So get a copy of the book, Socialists Don't Sleep. I think it will add to your repertoire of understanding because we need the discernment uh, that is so desperately required in order to uh, fight off this uh, encroachment. Now, I want to go back to uh, just briefly before the break uh, to my book, Seduction of the Saints, and uh, some comments that I made here concerning the false gospel of socialism. Social reformers love socialism. Socialism is systematized substitute for the unselfish love and compassion that God desires to flow from every human heart to his fellows made in God's image. The Apostle Paul exhorts, let us do good unto all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith, but the unregenerate or biblically unbalanced human mind rationalizes in response thinking 
if we should do good to all men, why not devise a society to compel all to do good so as to achieve a just society? Well, here's one of the reasons why not. Because compulsion replaces conviction. Socialism, while seemingly driven by principles, is in reality driven by pragmatism. The purported good ends justify ignoring the heart-driven means, which, from God's viewpoint, are as important as the ends. For the socialist, force supplants faith, and compulsion replaces heart conviction. You see, God is interested in the heart. In fact, Jesus himself said, the poor you will always have with you. So what about all these agendas that say we're going to eradicate poverty in our time? It ain't going to happen, friends. And it's certainly not going to happen through a socialist agenda. Just look at the poverty in Russia or Venezuela. We'll be right back with Cheryl Chumley in a moment. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. Today, we're delving into the heart of socialism and why it is not a redemptive economic or political uh, philosophy or idea. Actually, it is contra to uh, the Bible, contrary to the spirit of the Bible, and is, in fact, a counterfeit or substitute. Friends, this is exactly how the counterfeit Christ will gain dominion. He will use things that appear to be marketable to your feelings. In other words, they, they seem like they should be right, but in reality, they are not. And once you allow a government or an individual to gain dominion through these ideas, it's all over. Once you allow it to take hold, the remedies are so severe as to be almost impossible. You have been seduced. Well, uh, Cheryl, isn't it interesting that uh, the Bible uses the word seduction and seduced uh, very frequently uh, almost like an alternative for the word deception, doesn't it? <laughs> 
Yes, because uh, both those words, seduction and deception, apply when you're talking about socialism. I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you have a proper biblical worldview, right, you understand that God endows each and every individual at birth with certain talents, a certain mission in life that you're mm-hmm. supposed to grow and develop and, and, and root and so forth and spread. And what does socialism do except come along and say, well, we want everybody to be equal. We want everybody to have uh, wealth and prosperity and an easy life. But the Bible doesn't promise that. The, the Bible promises you certain things, but it certainly doesn't say that you're going to have the exact paycheck as your neighbor down the road and as your neighbor down the, the other street. That's what socialism tries to do. And so it's deceptive because, first off, it falls flat. It can't, it can't possibly accomplish that. And second, it removes the God-given seeds of greatness that are given to each individual. It, it's, in my view, a soul killer. Well, it is. And yet Joe Biden stood before the American people at his inauguration and said that he was speaking to the soul of America and wanted to restore the soul of our country. What was he talking about? Well, what he's talking about is exactly the opposite of what America needs. What he was talking about was bringing about some sort of socialist uh, progressive communist type equality, which is impossible. It really is. And uh, honestly, people don't want that because not everybody wants the same thing in life, right? I mean, you and I don't want to live in the exact same home, in the exact same neighborhood. We have different dreams, different ambitions. Yeah. Well, multiply that by 330 million. That's how America is. We're a country of individualism. So when Joe Biden promises uh, to restore our soul, what he's talking about is killing the soul of individualism, uh, of God-given rights that was instilled by the founding fathers at our country's birth. So what he's about is compelled conformity. We're going to compel you to conform uh, so that everybody can be said to have not only equality of opportunity, but equity in terms of exact outcome. That's exactly the message that he wants to send. But here's the thing. The evil goes even deeper. I don't even think that those people who, like Joe Biden, who put forth that message, believe that it's possible and plausible. They know that what they're promising is a lie. And the reason they're doing it, and this is why it's the bigger evil than just lying, the reason they're doing it is because of their own selfish political ambitions. They think in the end they're going to be the ones at the top, the the 1% or the 10% of the elites doing the redistribution, deciding who gets and who, who loses. Well, I think it's even more insidious than that. Uh, And that leads us to another whole arena of application, and that is the so-called Great Reset. Uh, When Klaus Schwab, uh, who founded the World Economic Forum, uh, declared the Great Reset, uh, it was a euphemism, or another way that was thought to be more acceptable of calling for a new global or world government. And uh, Joe Biden... His whole election was based upon him being the vehicle to install the United States into that world government. So John Kerry, his uh, appointed environmental czar, declared that the election of Joe Biden 
was the door opening to the new world order. Then he, in addition to that, two weeks later, declared in a forum, uh, in a, a video forum for the World Economic Forum, that people don't realize this is going to take place very, very rapidly, much more rapidly than anybody presupposes. In other words, what we need to know is their goal is 2030. That's the goal, that all of this will be accomplished by 2030. Now, here is what Klaus Schwab said, and this is amazing. This should strike a a terror into most people's uh, hearts. But he said that we, you are not, once we get this great reset in place, you're not going to own anything, and you'll be happy about it. Did you hear that? He said, you're not yeah. going to own anything, and you will be happy about it. In other words, we're going to become your God. We're going to become your Jehovah Rapha, your Jehovah Jireh. We're going to provide all your needs according to the riches of, in glory by the Great Reset and the new global world order. That's the bigger picture, I think. Oh, without a doubt. And forget that timeline of 2030. It, it, it will happen before the next election if Christians with discernment don't start pushing back and doing some serious civil disobedience. And what's wait, a, wait a minute. Place... You're calling for Christians to engage oh, yes. in civil yes. disobedience. Uh, yes. And to, to find that out for us now. Uh, I, Christians need to stand up, and when the government tells you to take the vaccine as a condition of returning to school or as a condition of shopping at your favorite mall, you need to say, no, we're not going to take these government orders. And it's not just the vaccine. What's happening right now with this great reset? It's not just an environmental movement. It's a redefining of capitalism, which basically hits at the heart and soul of America. Uh, It's the free market that is America's engine. And it doesn't just give us economic prosperity. prosperity. It it defines our individualism. It it defines us as innovators and uh, creators. And so with this great reset, what's happening is, and this is on the World Economic Forum's own, own website, they're redefining what it means to be a capitalist. Instead of companies putting profits first, companies put social justice causes first. You see this happening right now in America with Major League Baseball, okay, with Coca-Cola. So this is the reason why 1,000 companies now in America, yes. big companies, yes. have gone woke and decided... Yes to uh, rather than carry on what they are supposed to be, the business they're supposed to be doing, have decided they're going to pander for political favors or whatever it is to this new socialistic endeavor. That's exactly why. And I know what some of your listeners may be thinking. They may be thinking, well, I'll just stop shopping at at these places or I'll stop buying these products. Well, the thing is, Look back over the last year of the coronavirus and who supported businesses for shutting doors? It was the taxpayers. So not only are these businesses being pressed to put profits secondary to social justice causes, they're being promised tax dollars to make up for any type of revenues losses they will suffer as a consequence of their ridiculous social uh, programs. 
So this is happening now, and people really need to pay attention to what's going on with the free market in this country. We need to fight for our small businesses and our middle class. That's the way to push back on the Great Reset. All right, but you said that uh, Christians should stand uh, and and basically engage in... Uh, Civil disobedience. Civil disobedience. Got to do it. It's uncomfortable, but and you got to do it. What does that look like? That's well, what I want you to speak to at the moment. My 14-year-old daughter uh, refuses to wear a face mask because uh, uh, she finds it ridiculous, and she's done her research, and mm-hmm. that's a that's a longer issue. But at her orthodontist appointment, um, she is told that as a condition of entering the building, she has to wear a face mask, and then five steps down the hallway, she has to take the face mask off, and then mm-hmm. you know the orthodontist has got his fingers in her mouth anyhow. It's a she joke. refuses. It's it's stupid. It's it's not scientifically based. It's a control issue. That's is. all. A control and a follow the herd mentality. Well, she refuses to play into that deception. So she, 14 years old, told these adults in the office, no. So what's happened after a little bit of go around, now she has private appointments at her office, at her orthodontist office, where she doesn't have to wear a face mask. When I go into a store, I don't wear a face mask. If somebody wants to say something to me, I have them. I make them come to me. I don't sit there and wait for them to tell me why I need a face mask and try and force me to wear one. Mm -hmm. My individual rights come from God, not the private business. So I will go in, and that's my civil stand. I will make the businesses come after me. If we all pushed back in simple ways like that, you know, we wouldn't be where we're at right now. But this go-along-to-get-along mentality has to stop. All right. And, of course, Dr. Burks made her famous statement about six, eight months ago how shocked she and Dr. Fauci were that the American people were so easily uh, moved to conform to their demands. I am, too. That itself was a shocking thing. And it showed the uh, willingness of the American people to be a lawful people. That's what it really showed. But the willingness of the American people to be a lawful people also uh, was used against them just as democracy is being used by the enemies of a republic in order to gain a foothold and destroy the very foundations of the government that they use. We're going to talk more about the application of uh, uh, what our guests called civil disobedience when we get back, and then we'll move from there to some other applications. This is an important conversation here today. When we get back, I want to talk a little bit about the attitude aspect. We'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they loved one another. Incredible. 
But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Back to Viewpoint, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Just in the last 24 hours, a church in, uh, I believe it was the last 24 hours, a church in uh, Canada, another church has been shut down uh, by the heavy hand of government uh, with threats of fines and imprisonment. This is what's happening in the name of, shall we say, socialism or the new social order of things. What we've learned so far is that with socialism, good replaces God, compulsion replaces conviction, and there's something else that it does as well. It shifts our trust. So it has to be noted that the farther both America and the entire West have drifted from our biblical roots and Judeo-Christian convictions that we've been talking about here today on the program, the more we embrace socialism as a deceptive substitute to accomplish care in the social order. But inevitably, the source of trust for care of others is shifted from God to collective government. This issue of trust is very significant. In fact, it will become the defining truth of end-time worship as the ultimate world caregiver, a counterfeit Christ, seeks to provide peace and safety to the world through a counterfeit salvation, compelling all inhabitants of the earth, including you, my friend, to receive his mark to secure the final utopian provision, it will truly test your trust. That's where it's all heading. And the foundation has been laid And now it's the implementation of what that foundation that we're talking about and what, if anything, can be done uh, by you and I on the ground as professing Christians. Uh, Cheryl, you have called for uh, a kind of uh, resistance by Christians. some might say, well, doesn't the Bible say in Romans chapter 13 that we're supposed to obey government because it is the minister of good to us? And if you resist the government, you're resisting the power that God has put. How do you respond to that? Well, in this country, the government is the people, right? Of, by, and for the people. Right. Uh, you know, the, the Bill of Rights was written for individual rights, not government powers. In fact, it was written just the opposite, and that's why Barack Obama hated the Constitution and thought it should give all of the rights to the government and only reserve a few things to the people. Right. Well, that's not how it is in this country. My rights come from God, and if you're from the government and you want me to give up some of my God-given rights, then I say it's incumbent on you from the government to tell me why. It's not opposite. It's not I have to prove to the government why I deserve to keep certain rights. Mm -hmm. It's incumbent on the government to prove to the individual in this country why the government needs to cede, uh, why the government needs to take certain rights from the individual. And so that's kind of the the building block of, of where individuals should start. Well, this country uh, was founded very differently than any other country on the planet in world history. And you're right. The first three words of the preamble to the Constitution are, we the people. 
the government is we the people. It's not they. It's not them. It's not the president. It's not the Congress. Uh, those people are elected to represent us. And we're the ones that ultimately, according to the Constitution, hold the power, including the power of the purse string. So that's where we start. Then we have another issue, and that is, uh, for instance, Pope Francis has come out very powerfully and uh, carried on a message of socialism, democratic socialism and so on. He believes very firmly in a socialistic form of government, which he says is biblical. Then we also have, as we've been talking about here today, uh, others in our churches and so on. We have pastors. In fact, some evangelical pastors came out not too long ago and said it is your God-given duty to express Christian love, to wear a mask, and to socially separate and do everything else, and in addition, get the vaccine. That's your Christian obligation because it shows that you love others. What say you? Well, they're wrong. First off, the Pope, Pope Francis, I'm not Catholic, but if the Pope wants to bring about a, some sort of global uh, socialism, I would suggest he start with the Vatican first and, uh, you know, all the reserves and rooms full of gold and jewels that are stored up in the Vatican for church use that he start distributing to the poor. Mm. Uh, because that is how socialism works. Well, he, and lives if you're going a, to, he lives in the largest mansion in the world, 1,300 With walls. Rooms. Right. With, with walls, walls. yes. Uh-huh. So let, let's, you know, when, when he decides to lead by example, then perhaps we should listen to him. But until then, um, I, I would dismiss what the Pope's call for socialism uh, is completely ridiculous. All right, and, how about evangelical pastors now that are saying it is your duty of love, Christian love, to take the vaccine because it's the only way for us to protect against the spread of a deadly virus. Well, it, it's not the only way to protect against I mean, it, if they want to make that call based on their biblical views, fine. But as far as the science goes, it, you know, this vaccine is completely revolutionary. It's an mRNA type of vaccine, which mm-hmm. has never before been used in humans. So True. not only are you a guinea pig taking this vaccine because it has not had time to be tested for long-term use, but you're also a guinea pig with this particular type of vaccine because it's only been given to, I think, mice with some level of success, but never before in humans has an mRNA vaccine be, been used. So I, I would suggest that if, if you have reservations about taking the vaccine or you have health issues or just some sort of social question mark around wearing face masks, that you go with that as an individual and not live by fear. Well, it's interesting that about 40% of medical practitioners uh, according to my understanding, about 40% of them refuse to take the vaccine. Why do you yes. think that is? <laughs> because they know best. They know and here's that another it can't red be flag. trusted. That's right. Right. The, the military will not mandate its military members to take it yet either because it's only issued for emergency use authorization. It has not been approved by the FDA for long-term use. All right, so, so the military marketed, won't mandate it. It's been marketed not really for uh, protecting against the vaccine and its spread because it doesn't do that. 
everybody knows that it's not, well, I shouldn't say everybody knows, uh, but those who are in the know know that it does not prevent the spread. What it does is diminish or supposedly diminish the effects of the uh, virus if you get it. So uh, that's what it's really for. And then they're saying that, well, you might have to take it again. Uh, in fact, you might have to take it every year. Well, what, we're, what, what this is doing is setting the stage for voluntary compliance to an edict that ultimately will compel you to do that which is directly and openly and notoriously contrary to the Word of God and therein lies the ultimate and eternal danger, I think. Yep, and this is where discernment is needed. Look, why do we need vaccines for a virus that is, it, the recovery rate is 99.7%, right? And the vaccine efficacy rates uh, range between 66% and 95%. So the common sense, you don't have to be a scientist to see the numbers aren't adding up. Yeah, the numbers don't add up. And we have done a number of programs just in the last week and a half, uh, Cheryl, that you were not aware of, to kind of lay a foundation for uh, our discussion here today. And uh, what what concerns me uh, is that we need to have a righteous attitude. God is concerned as much about our attitudes as he is about our actions. And uh, that's why we have the B, attitudes. And God wants us to walk in humility. How can we exercise uh, this kind of civil disobedience in humility? Well, God wants us to walk in truth as well. Well, that's true. And, you know, Jesus wasn't a big wuss. I mean, Jesus, when he had a statement to make, he put it out there pretty bluntly. Uh, I don't remember him cowering in the corner in in humility in too many instances, but you can be truthful and still be humble. I'm bold and and, and I'm blunt, and I don't mind speaking my mind, but at the end of the day, I pray to God, and I'm humble before Him, Mm -hmm. and I I ask for uh, obedience from God, but sometimes you just have to speak out against people, especially when it's the spirit of Satan that other people are are whispering. You need to be that spirit of truth to counter that. Well, that's what we do every every day here on this program, and people know that. And uh, it's precisely because we're a voice of truth without compromise on any issue uh, that it has been very, very difficult for us to raise resources uh, over the past 26 years just to, uh, you know, stay on the air. You can't get commercial support for this kind of thing because we speak uh, to the heart of God's people on issues that are not just political, but deeply rooted in the mind and heart of professing Christians and their pastors. And uh, God is every bit as concerned about that. So, I would say, and I'm going to I'm going to disclose something a little bit here. Uh, as of yesterday, as of yesterday, I have personally decided that when I go into stores from now on, I am not going to wear a mask. I started that Good. yesterday, did it today. I have worn a mask in the past, not because I believed that it was helpful. I did not. I believe the science says otherwise. On the other hand, I did not want to show 
a spirit of rebellion or of pride or of arrogance or my rights. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be as cooperative as I could, but it's gone beyond that point now. And I believe that we need to begin to say, okay, enough is enough. We've tried to be cooperative. The facts are not lining up. We've been deceived over and over again by so-called science. And maybe this is a little bit what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he talked to Timothy uh, and said, look, watch out for those who are engaging in science, falsely so-called. You remember that one? Uh, no, I don't remember that particular quote, oh, but that's yeah. great. <laughs> Watch out for those that are ga- engaging in science falsely so-called. Science can be used to manipulate people. Just the word science somehow mm-hmm. has engendered absolute trust in the mind and heart of the American people who really don't know what how science has been abused and misused and distorted and even used to manipulate uh, we the people. Friends, look, Cheryl has written a wonderful book here, Socialists Don't Sleep, Christians Must Rise or America Will Fall. There's a big word that comes to my mind. It's called pusillanimous. Pusillanimous. We did a whole program called pusillanimous. Look it up on our website, saveus.org. It means cowardly without a backbone, without courage. In other words, you just go along to get along. You conform to everything. You don't use discernment. Friends, it's time for us to be discerning. It's time for Christians and their pastors to be discerning. It's time for pastors to step up with a backbone, not just for political purposes, but even more so for spiritual purposes because we've been capitulating for a very long time. And quite frankly, the government, under false motives, has put a noose around your neck. Our special guest today is Cheryl Chumley. Thank you so much, Cheryl, for joining us. I hope people will go ahead and go to our website, pick up this book, Socialists Don't Sleep. It's a $28 book, yours for $19. Hardbound, it's on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA. And uh, friends, it's time for us to take seriously what's going on. This is not a case, hurrah, hurrah. Uh, Whatever will be, will be time. This is a time for uh, Christians to step up to the plate, to be counted, to gird up the loins of our mind, and be steadfast in the ways of the Lord. God bless, be a blessing, and pray for our country. been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.